0: And welcome to another Assembly Call Monday Mailbag. I am your host, Jared Morris. This is episode number 410 of the Assembly Call. And this is the second straight week that we're doing a Monday Mailbag. Uh, And if you didn't listen last week, the reason why we started to do this is we get so many questions on Thursday night, and we can very rarely get to them all in segment four. Uh, but I figure if we do one of these, then we can get to some of those questions because there's so many good ones and they're, you know, they're fun for discussion. So, uh, I don't know if we'll be able to do it every week, but I'm going to certainly try and do it as often as possible. And today just happened to work out. So let's, uh, let's roll in here and answer some questions. And if I have time at the end, uh, after answering all the questions, getting caught up on the questions from Thursday night, then I can answer some fresh ones that you have as well. Uh, Let me start with just an opening statement about Indiana All-Star Weekend. Obviously, the Indiana All-Star boys uh, struggled on Friday night, losing to Kentucky. They lost by uh, 10 points or 11 points, something like that. Uh, and this was a big surprise because the Indiana All Star team, loaded with high, you know, major Division One players—Romeo Langford, Robert Finnessy, Demise Anderson, Aaron Henry, Eric Hunter—all going to Big Ten schools. The Kentucky team really didn't have uh, much of that, and so it was expected that the Indiana team. I think they came in, you know, winning 18 out of the last 20. It was expected that they would dominate. They certainly did not do that on Friday night. Uh, but then bounced back on Saturday with a really strong performance. Romeo Langford played very well, was named the outstanding player in that game. I think Demi'sy Anderson had ten points. Robert Finney didn't score a lot, but did you know a lot of little uh, little Robert Finney things? Um, so it was nice to see the Indiana All-Star boys end that two-game series with some momentum on the upswing. So, you know, overall, I think they outscored them by 17, 18 points, which is rather dominant. It's just that, you know, all of that dominance happened in the final 40 minutes as opposed to the first 40 minutes. So in terms of takeaways from that, I take very little. (laughs) These are, let's remember, you know, I saw a lot of people kind of freaking out about it uh, on Friday night after the game, and it's... You know, I just I don't think you can take much from an exhibition game. These guys haven't played together. you know, Romeo Langford specifically, he's been playing an all star game after all star game that sounds to me like he's ready to get in the gym, and I know that you know he wanted to come back Saturday and have a strong game, and that was something that he was looking forward to. But I'm just not going to put much stock in what happened in an all star game to make me feel any less excited about this group coming in so. And then it was nice to see on Saturday that they bounced back and played well. And, you know, maybe if they had laid two eggs on Friday and Saturday night, you take a little bit from it. But I just don't uh, don't take a lot from it. If you feel differently, you know, I didn't actually get to see the game. So if you saw the games and you feel a little bit differently, feel free to comment. But that's where I stand on it. And now I saw a tweet from uh, Jake Forrester that he is on his way to Bloomington. It sounds like all five of the freshmen will be arriving tomorrow. June 12th uh, to begin their college basketball career. So I'm sure that we'll be seeing a lot on social media uh, about those guys as they get into the offseason program and get to work with Cliff Marshall and get ready to contribute as much as possible uh, next season. I know that we'll be talking about some of those freshmen here as we go through because there are some questions about them. So we'll talk more about that. One more note before we get into answering questions. You may have heard on some recent episodes, kind of just some random ads pop in like an ad for McDonald's and an ad for Wells Fargo. We host our podcast at Spreaker and Spreaker has a monetization system that they offer. You can go in and kind of pinpoint in the show where you want to put an ad and they have deals with different companies and they'll just put an ad in there for you. And so I ran some tests with it, kind of wanted to see you know, what it would be if it you know, drove a lot of revenue, how annoying it was. And i didn't receive any comments either way, so you know if you have comments about that, i'd love to hear them. But my own personal feeling about it is I just didn't really like it. you know I don't go to McDonald's so I don't want the show that I'm hosting to recommend Mcdonald's. you know uh, Wells Fargo, obviously they've got their you know massive ad campaign out now to try and burnish their image after all the the problems that they had um, and my thought with building this audience has always been to. You know, be really strategic with who we choose as sponsors. You know, like Hoosier Proud and like SeatGeek. Like those are real sponsorships that I think really benefit you, uh, and that I think kind of fit what we're doing with the show. And I like that I get to read those ads, and it stays in my voice. I decided I'm just not a fan of just turning over the show to whatever ad spreaker wants to pipe in there. Um, So anyway, we're not going to do those anymore, uh, at least for now. And, uh, you know, but I, I do want to let you know that, you know, if you want to support the show and and something that will certainly help us to kind of compensate for the loss of that revenue that we could have had is our affiliate links. And I mentioned these on Thursday night show, but uh, we have affiliate links with SeatGeek and with the official IU online store and Amazon as well. And all that means is that when you use the links to go to those sites, we'll get paid a commission. So like our affiliate link for the IU online store, iustore.shop. When you put that into your browser, or into your phone, it'll redirect you to the store, but it takes note of what link you use to get there. And then if you buy anything, we get credits. With the IU store, we would get 10%. Uh, at SeatGeek, actually, sometimes we get 50%. It's a really, really nice uh, deal. And that one is iutickets.shop. So iustore.shop, iutickets.shop. It's a really great way to support the show. You know, don't buy anything extra, but just tickets and IU gear that you would buy anyway if you wouldn't mind using those links it'll just help us out uh, and then also if you want to use it for Amazon too you can go to a- assemblycall.com/ Amazon uh, and you can you know bookmark that or just remember it when you go there and we'll actually get you know like four or five percent of what you order on Amazon so if you can think about that if you can remember uh, it's a really great way to support the show and, uh, and we would appreciate that so again those URLs iustore.shop, shop, and assemblycall.com/ Amazon. Okay, let's dive in and let's start answering some questions here. And, uh, and we'll just go down the list from how I had him on Thursday night. Uh, so the first question is from Chaz. And Chaz's question is, what are the chances that Demezi ends up with some of Justin Smith's minutes? Demezi might be a better shooter, but Justin probably has him beat in the other aspects of the game, most importantly, in his newfound experience with the pack line. Your thoughts? It really it would have made sense to get to this on Thursday night because on Thursday night we did our complete off season analysis of Justin Smith. So if you missed that episode and you want to know uh, kind of what we think of Justin, how we project him forward, and why comparing you know his potential breakout as a sophomore to what Victor Oladipo and Troy Williams did as a sophomore is absolutely not outlandish given what he did as a freshman. Um, but getting to this question just didn't really fit. Um, what I would say about Demesi filling in for Justin Smith is I think it's I think that's unlikely because I think to based on what I know of his game and what other people who know more about his game have told me is he'll, you know, he's going to have a bit of a transition most likely as a freshman to college basketball. Um, he clearly is a very good shooter, albeit a little bit streaky. And as Ryan has mentioned numerous times, has some, uh, some fundamental things, you know, some footwork things to work out on his shot that might not have hurt him in high school, but with the quick closeouts against bigger size at the college level, he's going to have to get a little bit more consistent with that. Um, you know, but hopefully Justin improves his outside shot to the point where, you know, you don't just assume that Demizi Anderson is the better outside shooter than Justin Smith. And maybe that will always be the case, but hopefully that gap closes. And I just think as as Chaz mentioned, you know, Justin has more experience and Justin can do a lot more things right now than Demizi. You know, Demise, as a freshman probably isn't going to give you the boost as an offensive rebounder that Justin Smith can. Probably not going to be as versatile of a defender as Justin Smith is going to be. So, you know, if you're looking for the way that D'Amizi could end up with Justin Smith's minutes, I suppose in certain lineups where shooting is really prioritized, you know, if Justin's shot doesn't develop, you might see lineups of Devonte, Romeo, D'Amizi, Juwan, and Fitzner playing together, something like that. But I just don't see them as that close of a comparison to where I would say Demizzi, uh would take Justin Smith's minutes. I think Justin Smith, um, for Indiana to be as good as we think Indiana can be, he's a guy that ultimately kind of gets his name written in pen in the starting lineup or as the sixth man and is a 24 to 26 minute a game player. And a guy like Demise might come in and spell him just for a break, but he's not going to take some of his minutes. So those are, uh, those are my thoughts on that. Good question, Chaz. Thank you. The next question is from Matt and Matt asks, what are your go-to advanced stats for the college game per 40 minute counting stats per hundred possessions, So, if you've been listening to the assembly call, you know over the last couple of years that we have started to talk a lot more about advanced metrics, you know, defensive efficiency and offensive rebounding rate and assist rate, which just seem like better game over game statistics to use kind of when you know comparing games to each other comparing seasons to each other just providing context for a game because if you just use counting stats what that doesn't take into account is when games are played at a faster pace and so not everything is equal but when you put everything on a per you know 100 possession basis you kind of you know make everything equal in other words and you look at the ratios you look at the percentages it becomes a little bit easier to make comparisons than to make judgments. So I you know I look at the counting stats and they're you know pretty easy metrics to just get a very quick view of how well a guy is doing. Um, but I think rate stats mean more, and we certainly look at those more. And when we're doing actual analysis, we're going to use those uh, stats more. You know, I, I think from a team perspective, you know, looking at the efficiency numbers, you, know, you can look at Ken Palm, the adjusted offensive efficiency, the adjusted defensive efficiencies. These are great ways to compare uh, teams' improvement. Throughout the season to compare improvement from season to season, and then to compare how you are against other teams uh, in the country, they really work well for that. Uh, you've probably heard of the four factors. These were uh, the stats that Dean Oliver kind of pinpointed as being the the most uh, influential for winning and losing: effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, rebounding percentage, and free throw percentage. Uh, I find those stats to be much better. You know, turnover percentage again. You know, is 15 turnovers in a game good or bad? Well, I don't really know because it depends on how many possessions you have. If it's a high possession game and you're playing a certain style, you might be able to live with 15 turnovers. But you don't really know that. A turnover percentage is much more likely to give you an instant number that you're like, okay, that was good or bad based on your knowledge of the team and the context of the season. Same thing with rebounding percentage. You know, defensive rebounding percentage or offensive rebounding uh, numbers, the raw totals can really be dictated by how many shots you're getting up or how many shots you're allowing. The percentage is actually a better indication of how good you are at getting defensive rebounds or how good you are at getting offensive rebounds. So I tend to like those More. And then when I'm going through and doing a preview or, you know, kind of looking at keys to the game or just trying to do my preparation for a game so I understand the context afterwards for what happened, I'm really looking for, based on those rates, uh, those rate statistics, you know, where is it strength versus strength? Like, where is one team really good at offensive rebounding and another team is really good at defensive rebounding percentage? So you can really see. You know, where the strength is going to meet up against the strength. And then obviously, you know, where the strength is going to meet a weakness. Uh, You know, it's like last year, you know, Michigan State wasn't very good at turning people over. They didn't have a very good defensive turnover percentage and they turned the ball over a lot themselves. Um, You know, so how does that then compare with where Indiana is? And so that kind of gives me some context leading into the game. But that's kind of the long answer to your question, Matt. The short answer is I very much prefer uh, the rate stats to the counting stats because I think they provide more. Useful information uh, that can be used for comparing players to each other, to their past performance, and then, uh, you know, just in, in terms of teams, really to be able to get a, a taste for what a team is good at and what you should expect uh, when they play each other. So that is what I think about that. All right, next question. Uh, this is from East Coast Hoosier from our Slack group. What is the most surprising season by an IU player of all time? Uh, of all, that's a really good question. So I am. I, I emailed Bill Murphy uh, about this. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. I think it's at uh, was it at William Murphy two. I think he's you know written a bunch of books about Indiana. Wrote a great book about Branch McCracken. We've had him on the show before. Probably needs no introduction. Um, I emailed him and said I'm compiling a list of these questions that really re- require your advanced encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of indiana basketball history to answer. and so he's agreed to do an episode. so i'm going to compile a few of these and then we'll get him on for an episode to handle all of these questions. um because i you know i i can't go back that far and when you think about most surprising um just thinking about recent history i would say Um, OG's freshman year breakout was really surprising. You know, it's easy to forget when he's a first round pick and one of the best rookies in the NBA. He entered Indiana as like the 234th best prospect, something like that. And people were talking about, is he going to be a red shirt? This guy is a project. You know, maybe he can turn into a player as a junior or senior. Not a lot of people expected, but that by the end of his freshman season, he would be one of the best defenders in the country and one of the most important players on a Big Ten championship team. And that's absolutely what he became. And you saw little glimpses of it early in the season because that team wasn't very good defensively. But every time OG and Juwan would get in, it was like the defensive intensity and fundamentals and awareness ratcheted up a level. It's like, huh, this is kind of interesting. And then, you know, slowly but surely, you know, he started to get more time and really proved how good he was. So his breakout was really, really surprising in terms of recent history. I think Victor Oladipo being named National Player of the Year in twenty thirteen, sporting news named him National Player of the Year. But even just him being, you know, an all-American and a first team All Big Ten player was really surprising. I mean, he improved from his freshman to his sophomore season, but a lot of that was just, you know, his counting stats improved because he played more minutes on a team that wasn't very good. Um, but I don't think anybody saw as a junior him breaking out, you know, like he did. That um, shouldn't say that team wasn't very good. I mean that team was uh, was pretty good actually. Um, but again, as a junior, no one expected him to be to take the the step that he did, and then for him to go on and be national player of the year, uh, that was quite surprising. And then I think you know, I, thinking back even further, I remember being quite surprised when Tom Coverdale busted out as a sophomore in uh, 2001 after barely playing as a freshman. I, I still remember. Uh, going to a game Tom Coverdale's freshman year and I had balcony seats. And the guy that I was sitting next to just thought it was the funniest thing in the world to yell, hey, Bobby, put in Coverdale because he would never play Coverdale. So it was just like this ongoing joke. And then for Coverdale to come in the next season and become such an important catalyst and really consistent player uh, for Indiana and obviously help lead Indiana to a national championship game, that was, uh, you know, I think if you saw what he did in high school, you expected him to turn into a player but, you know, being, after being buried on the bench as a freshman, it became surprising to see him bust out. So those are the most recent surprising seasons that I would say. But again, uh, this is added to the list of questions that I need to ask Bill Murphy because he'll have, you know, seasons from 1950 and, you know, 1970s. And he'll, uh, he'll be much better equipped to answer that question than I will. Uh, Joel asks, which of the incoming freshmen will adapt to the pack line defense the quickest? Have any of these freshmen played a similar defense in high school? I don't think any of these guys played the pack line in high school, but don't quote me on that. Uh, but I don't think so. Uh, who will adapt the quickest? It's a really good question. My gut instinct is to say Rob and Romeo, simply because, you know, those are guys who are going to be in the backcourt. Um, I think the the defensive assignments that they get won't be as varied as what some of the other guys may get. Um, and, you know, being able to play on the perimeter, And guard opposing guards, you know, I feel like what they're being asked to do will be a little bit simpler than a guy like Jerome Hunter, who could be asked to guard, you know, four positions, or a guy like Jake Forrester, who's really going to have to, you know, I mean, you saw some of the struggles that Deron Davis had, you know, defending pick and rolls, really having to move quickly to really have the awareness to know where to get back to and to be able to communicate on the back line of that defense. So, my guess would be Robin Romeo, but a lot of it also is just going to depend on the level of defensive awareness that these guys enter with, which you know I really don't know yet, having not seen them play a lot in high school, and then just how mature and how focused they are as freshmen to learn the intricacies of what they're doing. So for those reasons, I would say Robin Romeo, um, but I don't feel particularly strong about that answer. Uh, Joel also asked, "Will Romeo score more points his freshman season, or see more orange barrels on his way to IU from New Albany?" That is a construction joke. Very well said, Uh, Joel. And the obvious answer is more orange barrels on his way from IU to New Albany. Uh, Let's see here. Jonathan asks, I know it's ridiculously early, but ESPN Lenardi uh, has IU, Joe Lenardi, has IU as a nine seed in his latest bracketology. That is much lower than I anticipated. I was thinking seven seed, pushing a six seed. Your thoughts? Um, I forgot to get Andy's input on this. I know... Uh, Brian Tonsoni of Delphi Bracketology said you know, he thought a 6 or a 7 seemed a little bit more reasonable. Um, I don't know. I, you know, It's preseason bracketology, so who knows? I mean, I guess if it's a 9 seed, you know, that means that you're a top 36 team and most people have Indiana you know, in the top 25 or, or right around there, somewhere between 20 and 30. So I would say that, that does seem a little bit low based on what you're seeing, Indiana, a lot of preseason predictions. But I would also say, you know, you have to take those somewhat with a grain of salt. Uh, You know, Indiana still has a lot of questions that they have to answer to where, you know, if some of those questions don't get answered in a positive way, you may be just hoping to get a nine seat later on. And if those questions do get answered in a positive way, if Devontae breaks out, if Justin develops, if Jerome Hunter's ready to step right in, then Indiana could be a three or four seat. So yes, nine seems a little bit low, uh, just based on where we're seeing Indiana ranked otherwise, but I wouldn't really spend a whole lot of time worrying about it. Uh, from Jason on Facebook, does it worry you that the three potential scholarships could all be filled by forwards? Um, no, it doesn't worry me because I don't see any way that our three potential scholarships for 2019, that's with Fitzner leaving with Morgan graduating and Romeo Langford, everybody's presuming uh, to be one and done. I, I just don't see any way that they only fill those with forwards. I mean, when, once Romeo leaves, your backcourt for next year is senior Devontae, sophomore Robert Finnessy, junior Al Durham, and that's it. I mean, Demise Anderson is a wing, he's a shooter, he's not really a ball handler. So there is absolutely no way that Indiana goes into next season with only those three guards. And Indiana has obviously been involved with a lot of you know top-ranked guys like DJ Carton is a five-star, Kira Lewis, I think, is a five-star or bordering on it. Uh, Tyrell Terry, a guy that Indiana had been involved with, recently announced that he's going to Stanford. Um, Jamius Ramsey is another one. I may be forgetting one or two in there. By the way, sorry about my voice. I've been a little bit congested. So if I sound not quite myself, that's why. Um, But recently, Indiana offered Armand Franklin, uh, who's from Indiana, and uh, Brandon Newman, who is from Indiana. And so those are guys that, you know, it wasn't quite clear if Indiana was going to offer them. Well, I shouldn't, I don't think as of right now they haven't offered Brandon Newman, but I think he's expected to be on campus this week. And the expectation is because they offered Armand Franklin, they will probably offer Brandon Newman too. So, you know, it looks like Indiana is opening up, you know, who they're offering scholarships to a little bit from a guard perspective because they have to get guards. I mean, they've got to get one or two guards in this class. I think ideally you would get DJ Carton and you'd really feel good about having another you know top flight ball handling guard there. But either way, uh, you've got to get at least one, you've got to get two. So it would worry me a great deal if all of those scholarships were filled by forwards, but I just don't see it happening. And I think the trend that you're seeing in terms of offers with this class is showing that Archie is and the staff are definitely prioritizing bringing a guard. From Michael on Facebook, do you think Coach Miller will be less cavalier with his scholarship offers than Coach Crean was? I don't like the idea of constantly worrying about being over the limit. Yes, he will be. He has said that. You know, scholarships are like gold, and they should be treated as such. Um, and he already has been. I mean, you know, you're already seeing Indiana not just give out scholarships to anybody. I mean, they've got to see players play, and there's got to be some kind of connection there. And so, uh, you're already seeing that. So. I would not anticipate the kind of you know frenetic manic recruiting that we saw under Tom Crean to happen under Archie Miller. It'll be much more systematic, much more following a plan, which is good. Uh from Justin on Facebook, is Dale Davis' son still a potential recruit? I thought I read somewhere that he was. Yes, that is Trace Jackson Davis. He remains the top target for Indiana in the class. I mean, I think Isaiah Stewart is ranked higher. Than Trace Jackson Davis and Keon Brooks may even be ranked higher than Trace Jackson Davis, too, in some of the rankings. But in terms of the amount of time spent, you know, recruiting a guy, I think I don't think anybody is higher than Trace Jackson Davis. So, and, and, you know, you read lots of different things, and it still seems like Indiana is the program assumed to get him. But, you know, he's going to go through the process. I think maybe the dream of an early commitment. Doesn't seem quite as likely, uh, but now he's playing on the under team, U.S. men's national team, which was a very nice uh, honor for him to get, so he's still definitely a recruit, uh, and he is probably the single most important recruit in this class. Even though he's not a guard, just the fact that he's in-state, such a dynamic player, a big man, and because Indiana has invested so much time and just, again, what it would signal, again, getting another top-ranked recruit from the state. Uh, he's very important, so hopefully he decides to come to IU. Uh, this is from Adam on Facebook. Should and can IU play exhibition games around the state like they used to? Um, Anderson, Newcastle. I think those games are fun. I, I'd love to see anything that you know, goes out and builds goodwill in the state. Um, I don't know the rules or logistics on that, though. So if anybody else does, I would love to know, but I don't know what some of those rules are. Um, uh, but I think if you can make things like that happen, I think they're uh, I think those are good things to do, uh, from Stacy on Facebook, what top two or three recruits do we actually have the best shot at landing? Do you think we pursue Franklin and Newman from Indiana more seriously? If the guards we are after fall through, do we have a legitimate shot at any of the high rated guards we are after? So I covered, uh, um, Franklin and Newman a little bit ago. Do we have a legitimate shot at the high-rated guards? It seems like we have a legitimate shot at DJ Carton. Um, I think Michigan's involved there. Ohio State's involved there. Marquette's involved there. A couple others. Iowa. Um, but it seems like we're in the mix there. I don't really know on Kira Lewis and some of the other guys. You know, Kira Lewis is from Alabama. Jamius Ramsey. I think he's from Texas, but plays at IMG in Florida. You know, so those guys are national guys. And so... Do we have a legit shot? I, I will wait and see. F- wait for those recruitments to get more serious, I guess, before I think we're going to pull, you know, guys from far away like that. Um, because you know, when you talk about who do we have the best shot at landing, I think you always start with the guys that are closest to home. That always seems to be a tiebreaker. It doesn't mean that you're always going to get the in-state guys, and the guys don't go elsewhere for school. You know, Indiana has Juwan Morgan from Missouri and Al Durham from Georgia, and, and you're going to get guys from different places. But it certainly doesn't hurt to be close. And so in terms of guys we have the best shot at landing, I think you would put Trace Jackson Davis in there. I think you would even though it's an early stage in his recruitment, I think you would put Keon Brooks in there. And certainly Armand Franklin and Brandon Newman. neither guy is a slam dunk. You know, Indiana offers they're gonna come, but it's in state, so you would think that an offer would immediately vault Indiana, you know, into the top two, three or four for those guys, which gives you a legitimate shot to get them. And I don't know if Indiana is in the top two, three or four of some of those other guards. So uh, good question, Stacey. Thank you. And then this is from JD, uh, the non big 10 school and not named Louisville or Kentucky that you'd like to see Indiana set up a recurring home and home with. I think the idea of a home and home with Arizona is really exciting. As long as Sean is still there. And even if Sean's not there, you know, Arizona is a top program. So I think that is, that is interesting. You know, I just think obviously doing those series with, you know, with, uh, other universities that are in close proximity, like Louisville and Kentucky, are great for the fans. But I think, you know, one other high profile school, you know, another blue blood like that. Like, man, I used to love the series with Kansas back in the day. Um, you know, and even though my beloved 1993 Indiana Hoosiers lost to Kansas twice, um, once in the non conference schedule, and then once in the NCAA tournament, I thought that was a really cool series. You know, and Kansas and Indiana are two of the most storied programs uh in america and so i think uh you know i think that would be interesting so i would say arizona because i think the tie-in with sean and archie you know kind of adds another storyline for tv that will probably make it an even more high profile game and what i would want these games to do is to serve indiana's national profile get us in front of more eyes and ears Nationally, which is just going to help the stature both in state and across the country when you're trying to you know get recruits like Akira Lewis or you know like some of these other guys Indiana's going after to have more of a national profile that we've had so those are a couple of the first ones that come to mind, but I think any of those types of games that Indiana can play in uh, I would be all about all right so that uh, that concludes all the questions that I have from Thursday. Let me pull this up here real quick, and oh yeah, someone in here in the In the chat, was mentioning Trendon Watford. I didn't mention him. Uh, You know, things I've been reading and hearing, I should probably credit uh, Peagues with this one because I think I read it there um, that Trendon Watford seems to be trending toward Memphis. He's got a strong relationship with uh, Mike Miller, uh, the former NBA player who's an assistant coach at Memphis. So, uh, you know, there's obviously the tie in there with Christian, but it just seems like maybe the momentum there has fallen off a little bit. Um, so I did want to mention that. Um, yeah, if you guys, if there's any more questions that you guys wanted to ask, put them in there and let me look on Facebook real quick. Okay, no additional questions there. So it looks like uh, looks like that is it. So uh, I appreciate all the questions that you guys sent in. Uh, we will again try and do this as you know as many weeks as we can. Sometimes it could come on a Sunday. Sometimes it might not be able to happen on a Tuesday. But uh, the response that I got to the first mailbag was really, really uh, positive. And actually. I should say you guys are awesome because the response that we get to any extra content that we put out is always positive and it always makes me want to do more. So, you know, rest assured, uh, you know, we try and get as much new content out as we can, just kind of schedule allowing. Um, So as much as we can do that, we will certainly try and do it. Um, If you are going to shop for uh, IU gear, if you're going to get tickets, please remember the links, iustore.shop, S-H-O-P, iutickets.shop at SeatGeek. You can also use the promo code Assembly at SeatGeek to get $20 back after your first purchase. And if you're going to go to Amazon uh, and you want to uh, use the Assembly Call affiliate link, just type in assemblycall.com slash Amazon and we'll get credit uh, for those purchases too. So those are great ways to support the show. and. You know, the more that obviously that comes in, it helps us to be able to do more content, be able to invest more time in the show. So I figure doing that instead of running annoying ads from McDonald's and Wells Fargo is hopefully uh, a smart plan. (laughs) All right, everybody, uh, thank you for being here. We will have there will be a new episode of podcast on the brink coming. I'm doing an interview uh, later today with Bart Torvik. who is you know speaking of advanced stats? Um, he runs an outstanding advanced stat sites that I that I started to use almost as much as I was using Ken Palm uh, last year. So we're going to talk with him about you know advanced stats, get some insight there. He's also a Wisconsin fan, so we'll get some thoughts on uh, Wisconsin and just his general view of Indiana. So that should be a really good conversation. And then Thursday night uh, we will have another live broadcast of Assembly Call Radio. So if nothing else big happens, we will probably do another uh, off-season player breakdown. Probably Zach McRoberts will be the next one that we'll do, but don't hold me to that. Um, talk it over with whoever's going to be the co-host, and we'll go from there. And obviously, if there's any breaking news, then we will cover it on, uh, on the show. All right, everybody, have a wonderful week, a wonderful Monday, a wonderful week, and we will talk to you uh, Thursday night. Take care. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the assembly call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing and so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough.